0: The word everything refers to something that is extremely or most important. So if you believe someone or something is everything, you're saying that that person or that thing is most important in your life. It made me think of a song by Barry White, Words made popular in 1974, I'm not going to sing it for you, (laughs) my first, my last, my everything, and the answer to all my dreams, you're all I'm living for. So here's a question, what or who is your everything? Is it a person or is it a possession? Is it your career or a car. Could it be a pet or a place? So here's the deal. When your everything disappears or disintegrates, it's easy to feel like you have nothing or that you are nothing. That's how Mary Magdalene felt on the first Easter morning. There are a number of women named Mary in the Bible, so it's easy to get confused. This Mary is mentioned 12 times in the Gospels. Well, that's more than most of the disciples. Unfortunately, uh, Mary has been the subject of some nasty gossip over the years. Thanks in large part to Pope Gregory in 581 who confused her with a prostitute. The film, The Passion of the Christ, incorrectly associated her with the woman caught in adultery, but there's no biblical evidence for that either. I wonder if some of you feel misunderstood, maybe maligned, and perhaps this past year it hasn't been all that much different for you because you've been keeping distant from people for quite a while and others keeping distant from you, maybe You've been cheated on. Perhaps you're struggling through divorce, through singleness, through depression, mental health issues, infertility, or just feeling unimportant. Others of you might feel like you're not taken seriously because of your gender, because of your race, because of your background or your past. Well, Mary was from a town called Magdala, that's where she gets her name, that's located on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Luke chapter 8 verse 2 tells us a bit about her. We read there that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. So she's living proof of John 8, 36, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free Indeed. So after being set free from bondage to sin, bondage to Satan, Jesus becomes everything to her. And she devotes everything to him. In fact, in Luke chapter 8, we read that Mary, along with other women, joined Jesus as they traveled and provided out of their financial resources for their needs. Incidentally... The central facts of the Christian faith were primarily witnessed by women, especially the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Women, you matter to God, and you matter to this church, and we believe you. Mary was among Jesus' first followers uh, she was one of the last ones at the cross. She was part of that initial group that gathered at the tomb where Jesus was buried. She was the first to see him alive and the first to hear his voice. And so when we read about her in John chapter 20, uh, verse 1, we're given a metaphor for how she's feeling. It's not only the setting Of our passage but also descriptive for how she's feeling listen to John 20 verse 1 now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb so Jesus who had become everything to her because he had brought light to her world Well, now that he had died, she's in a dark, dark place. Uh, Things are dismal. Now, thinking the body of Jesus was stolen, Mary runs to find Peter and John. They hear the news. They run to the tomb. They investigate. They conclude that, in fact, Jesus is alive. So what do they do? Well, they go home. Mary is left all by herself, or so she thought. Let's pick up the narrative beginning in verse 11. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand in honor of God's word. You listen, and you can look at the words on the screen as well as I read. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, well, they've taken away my Lord and and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom? are you seeking? Well, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You can have a seat. God, we thank you for what we just read, and it's not fable, it's not fiction, it's fact. It's history, and thank you that you've given us your word, and Lord, we don't want to just glance at it. We want to uh, feast on it today. We want to understand it, and then by your spirit, would you take your word and apply it to each of our lives today? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So here's our main idea. Because Easter is everything, Jesus must be everything to you. Well, let me unpack that a bit. 1 Corinthians 15 says, this is of first importance. So what's right at the top? Well, here it is. Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. Verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ has not been raised, well, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Listen. If Jesus Christ hadn't risen from the dead, Christianity would be nothing and we have nothing. But since he did rise, he's everything and he's everything for everyone. I see four facts that we can apply right from this passage. Here's the first one. Jesus sees your sorrow. So when Peter and John head home, Mary's left standing as if paralyzed by her pain. She's not singing Easter songs. No, she feels empty inside. The word weeping means she was wailing and lamenting. It referred to a constant, unrestrained sobbing. Her shoulders were heaving. Her eyes are swimming with tears. Her heart is breaking. James 5.1 links this kind of weeping with howling. Howling. If you were to read the four accounts of the resurrection and all four of the gospels, uh, you'd see a lot of emotions of, like, joy and celebration, but you'd also read of emotions like this, crying, alarm, bewilderment, trembling, and fear. Some of you are dealing with deep sorrow over the loss of a loved one. I mean, right here in our own community, I think of the family of Briesha Terrell, the 10-year-old little girl, as they seek justice for her murder and walk through this valley of grief. Here in Rock Island, we've been rocked by what happened on Thursday night. So our tears tell us that there's more, leading us to look further. And so in the midst of Mary's sorrow, she stoops to look into the tomb. Beth and I have had the privilege to be at that garden tomb, and the entrance is low. She would have had to stoop to look in. As she looks in, she sees two angels in white in the midst of the darkness of the day and the darkness in her own soul. These angels are glowing with glittering brightness representing the glory of God. The angels see her sadness, and so they ask, woman, why are you weeping? Now, I'm not sure she realized she was talking to angels. Well, look at her answer. It just seems so matter-of-fact, but grief does that to you. They've taken away my Lord, and I do do not know where they've laid him. Oh, would you observe how personal her relationship is with Jesus? She says, my Lord. This echoes back to the lament found in Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 3. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Now, I wonder at this point if Mary hears a sound or maybe notices the angels looking behind her because verse 14 tells us she turned And when she turned around, she saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Grief has a way of clouding our vision, and she wasn't expecting Jesus to be in the garden. In verse 15, Jesus repeats the question of the angels. Woman, why are you weeping? Jesus doesn't rebuke her for crying or grieving. Instead, he gently invites her to talk about her sorrow. The angels asked their question out of curiosity. Jesus asked the question out of compassion. And he's wanting Mary to put words to her sorrow, to put words to her weeping. Mary isn't the only one who stood in a cemetery battling tears. Friend, right now, whatever you're going through, whatever struggle, Jesus knows all about it. He knows those things that make you sad. He understands your anxiety, your stress. He sees your fears. He sees your tears. And he wants to walk through your pain with you. And if you're wiped out by worry, let Jesus help you. Take comfort in the fact that Jesus sees your sorrow. And so because Easter's everything, Jesus must be everything to you. Notice next that Jesus sees you're seeking. The second question he asks is right there in verse 15. He says, whom are you seeking? The word whom is an interrogative pronoun. It's written with an acute accent in the original. It's noteworthy that Jesus asks, whom are you seeking? He doesn't say, what are you seeking? You know, the only one who can satisfy your seeking is not another person. It's not a possession. It's not pleasure. It's not another place. No, the only one who can satisfy you is the person of Jesus Christ. Until we find Jesus, we're all looking for someone as well. And sadly, many of us are seeking something when we should be looking for someone. Only Jesus Christ will meet your deepest needs. And so are you messed up and mixed up? Jesus knows all about it. Invite him into your pain. And is, as you look at your life, if you're honest, would you be like, man, I'm just searching, I'm just seeking, and I'm trying this, I'm trying that, that relationship, and this thing, and this pleasure, and none of it satisfies I like how Augustine put it, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The word seeking has the idea of looking for, striving to find. So if you're seeking the satisfaction that only Jesus can give you, I have some great news for you. You will find who you're looking for. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus made this amazing offer, Matthew 7, verse 7, seek and you will find. So Mary thinks she's talking to the gardener until Jesus calls her by name, Mary. That's verse 16. Earlier, when he called her woman, she didn't recognize him. But when he called her name, that was a game changer. It's probably the last thing Mary expected to hear from the gardener. Actually, in the original, he uses her Aramaic name, Miriam. And so he speaks her native name in her native tongue. This was the name that family and close friends used. Jesus always called her Miriam when he spoke to her. I wonder if some of you have nicknames, and I'm sure you do. I have a nickname, but before I tell you what it is, let me me remind you, I grew up in Wisconsin in a deer hunting family. So my dad calls me Buckshot. My dad calls me that, doesn't mean you can call me that. But every time... He still calls me that, by the way. Every time he says that nickname, I turn to him, and I look at him, and he's smiling, and it makes me smile. So here's Mary, filled with sorrow. She feels alone, like nobody gets her, nobody understands, and Jesus says, Mary, Mary. Listen, God has not forgotten you. Some of you have gone through terrible things. God has not forgotten you, and he knows you by name. Take comfort in Isaiah forty-three, one. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You know, we're always trying to find out who we are. Christ turns to us, and he says, I love you. Personally, I know you. I know your name. I love you expansively. I love you. Tim Keller points out he reveals himself and reveals her to herself at the same time. Get this. Jesus knows everything about you. And he still loves you. (laughs) Or we could say it like this. He loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. So because Easter's everything, Jesus must be everything to you. Notice next, Jesus sees your surrender. All Jesus had to do was speak her name. Verse 16 tells us she immediately turned toward him. That word turn means to turn about. It's like she's facing this way and she just spun. And now she's looking right at Jesus. When she realized it was her Lord, her despair, well, it turned to delight. Her sorrow led to surrender. She could only utter one word, rabboni. That was an Aramaic term of highest respect. And she had the choice of three words she could have used, rab, R-A-B, that's a generic form of a teacher, or rabbi, teacher, she said, Rabboni, which means my respected master teacher. The resurrected Christ is speaking your name right now. And just as Jesus restored everything that Mary had lost simply by speaking her name, so he speaks your name today. D- do you hear him? Mary Jo. Ryan, Mike, Angie, Steve, Rachel, will you do a turnabout when you hear your name and will you trust him fully and completely in surrender? David Siemens tells of a Muslim in Africa who became a Christian. Well, his friends and family weren't too happy about it. And so they asked him, like, why would you become a Christian? This is what he told them. Suppose you were going down a road, and suddenly the road forked. And at the fork, you saw two men, one dead and one alive. Which one would you follow? I decided to follow the man who is alive. So because Easter's everything, Jesus must be everything to you. Because Jesus is alive, he knows all about your pain, he knows you personally, he has plans for your life, and he has a purpose for you. Mary's sorrow was followed by seeking, which led to surrender, which ended in serving. See, if you follow Jesus, your life won't be perfect, but your life will always have meaning. Mary wanted to sit and soak up her time with the Savior, but Jesus had a task for her. I want you to notice how the resurrection reframes everything. Well, first we see there's a new relationship. So here's Mary. Jesus is alive. She's gone from sorrow to great delight. She's speaking to him, and she doesn't want it to end. She's holding on tightly to him. Verse 17, Jesus says this, do not cling to to me. The word cling means to fasten to. You know, Jesus is not a possession to hold on to. He's not our little pet on a leash. No, he's the risen Redeemer. He's Lord of all. He's the exalted King of everyone and everything. When I was thinking about that, I thought of a memory I had. We have four daughters, our oldest daughter, Emily, uh, was going to be a missionary in the dominican republic and beth and i took her to o'hare that was a hard car ride because we weren't going to see her for 2 years when we got to o'hare you know we're talking we're looking at the time and the time is going way too fast i just wanted everything to slow down and it was time to say our goodbye i put my arms around emily and i didn't want that hug to end I just held on until she finally had to break because she had to go through security. So after she hugged Beth, and I don't remember if she hugged Beth first or me first, but here's what I do remember. Emily turned and walked towards security, and she's standing in line, and Beth and I are looking at her, and we're trying to smile and be supportive because we were supportive, but our hearts were breaking. She's walking through the line. We see her go through. She gives one final wave, and I turned around, and if you've been to O'Hare, there's these big pillars that hold up the roof. I put my arms around one of those big pillars and just held on. I lost it, and I knew if I didn't hold on, I would crumple to the ground. That's a bit like what Mary was feeling. Finally, she sees Jesus alive, and she's holding on, and Jesus is ready to ascend shortly after that, and Mary doesn't want him to fly away, so she holds on as long as she could. But Jesus is giving a new relationship. Notice next, new relative, since Jesus has died and been raised again, he's now building a faith family through the new birth. We see this in the second half of verse 17. He says, "But go to my, what brothers." Well, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus referred to followers as servants and then disciples, and that's followed by friends. and well now he refers to them after he has died and been raised from the dead, he says, "My brothers." Hebrews 2.10 says, God's goal is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Hebrews 2.11 says, He's not ashamed to call them brothers. This morning I was reading in John chapter 21. There's seven disciples. They're fishing. They catch nothing. Jesus is on the beach. You know what Jesus calls these disciples? My children. So Mary has a new relationship with new relatives. And if you're born again, then Mary is your sister in Christ. And notice next, she's given new responsibility. Verse 18 tells us, Mary the mourner was turned into Mary, the messenger. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Mary gets up and goes instead of just sitting and soaking and holding on. Do you know there's great power in the words of someone who can say something like this? I saw him with my own eyes. I heard him speak. I was an eyewitness to Jesus being alive. A Baptist church in Bangladesh was showing the Jesus film to an audience who had never heard the gospel before. So people are watching the story, the narrative of the life of Jesus. That film is based on the Gospel of Luke. Little children are down front. The aisles are filled with children. Parents are wrapped around the back of the room. Everyone's watching and listening attentively. And then when the crucifixion happens, people start crying. People start gasping audibly. There are tears, and as the Bengalis watched and wept, one young boy seated down front stood up, and he said these words, do not be afraid, he gets up again. (laughs) I saw it before. Friends, Jesus got up again, and he would be closer to Mary after he ascended than ever before. So think with me. If he had stayed on earth, his ministry would be limited to -to face-to-face encounters to a few people who could see him at one time. On that day in the garden, Mary could touch him, but now that he's ascended, everyone can touch him. Through faith in his finished work, Jesus is present even when he's invisible to us. So as I meditated on Mary's encounter, I was struck by several connections to the Old Testament. We could call these redemptive threads. Let me just share two categories. The first would be the angels. So one angel in the tomb was positioned where the head of Jesus was. Where's the other angel? Where his feet were. Reminds us of the two angels, cherubim, Positioned across from each other on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. You ask, well, what's the mercy seat? Well, that's where blood was sprinkled once a year by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. So here's Jesus, the final sacrifice for our sins. And those who put faith and trust in Him find mercy. Second, the gardens. So Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, and God himself walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Because of their sin, they hid from God. Now thorns and thistles start growing, and God asked Adam a question. The question went like this, Adam, where are you? Well, it's not that God didn't know where Adam was. God wanted Adam to own his sin. You do know that sin brings shame and guilt makes us want to hide. That goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane to be obedient, undoing Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden. Their sin ushered a curse of thorns. Jesus wears a crown of thorns as he ushered in salvation from sin. Adam and Eve hid behind a tree, covered in shame. Jesus hangs on a tree and conquers shame. So get this. Jesus became the final sacrifice, was raised from the dead, and then walked in a garden in the cool of the day when he asked mary why are you weeping whom are you are you seeking a few days earlier jesus went to another garden called gethsemane where he wrestled with the father in prayer and prepared to die for our sins and after he died his body was placed in a garden tomb. The end of Revelation ends with the restoration of the Garden of Eden. Heaven contains the tree of life, and there's no longer any curse. But let me keep going. The thief on the cross was promised paradise. That's another name for God's garden. When he turned to Jesus in faith as the second Adam, Jesus undid what Adam had done and did what Adam failed to do. And in between the gardens stands a tree, the cross that Jesus died on to make all things new. Man's rebellion in the Garden of Eden brought death, separation, and suffering. That continues to today. Today. That's all reversed by the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, which took place in another garden. And today, Jesus is the great gardener as he plants the seed of God's word in the soil of our souls, causing us to grow and bear fruit for his glory. So friends, what if there was one thing that impacts everything about your life? What if that one thing is the one who created you, who knows your name and knows everything about you? He sees your sorrow. He sees how you've been seeking. He longs for you to surrender and to start serving him. If you're not a Christ follower, can I urge you to become one today? See, it's not enough to just know some truth or have some good feelings, emotions about Easter. You must make a decision to believe and to receive. During our expansion and renovation project, we encourage people at Edgewood to write names up on this wall. That's what it looked like. There's now acoustic panels there so you can't see the names. There's 2,600 names up on that wall. You go, why are you write names on the wall? Well, we encourage people to put names of people that they know who don't know Jesus yet. And we encourage people when they wrote those names to pray for that loved one, that family member, that neighbor, that coworker. Over 2,600 names up on that wall. This week, I received a letter from someone whose name is up on that wall. Let me read an excerpt. The thought of you all lifting up me, a total stranger, humbles me beyond words. Your prayers have been answered. I'm not the same man of a year ago. Grace has been realized by the miracle of salvation. I celebrated my first year of sobriety, which makes no sense to those who know me. Jesus has taken control of my life, and I have few words to explain the joy and purpose of my life. That gentleman's name is Don. He's the nephew of Diane Carnathan. On Tuesday, our staff team gathered right here in the worship center, and we prayed again for those names on the wall, and we prayed for each of you and those engaging online. And we prayed that if you don't know Jesus Christ yet, that today you would be saved. Jesus knows your name. Will you believe and be saved today? Interestingly, to believe means to cling to, to rely on, to trust in. So what Mary did to the feet of Jesus is what we're called to do by faith today. Biblical faith involves not just the intellectual, not just the emotional, but the volitional element. In other words, it's not enough to just know something in your head. It's certainly not enough to just feel good about it in your heart. A decision of the will must be made. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been saved from your sins? Oh, You may not be oppressed by the power of seven demons like Mary was, but, but maybe you have your own demons you're battling. Are you tired of living in darkness and ready to enter the light? I just got to tell you, the stakes are high. One pastor said it like this, if you die as a non-Christian, this life will be as close to heaven as you will ever experience. And nothing but hell awaits you but if you die as a Christian this life will be as close to hell as you'll ever experience and nothing but heaven awaits you belief must ultimately become personal or oh, would you repent and receive the finished work of Christ on the cross for forgiveness of sins John 112 says yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receive, believe, become. Ron Hutchcraft says it like this Jesus walked out of his grave so he could walk into your life. Listen to how one person recounts how Jesus walked into his life when he went from seeking to surrender.
1: My name is Andy Leakin, 35 years old. I've got a beautiful wife named Cody, and I've got a beautiful two month year old named Harper. And I work for Whelan Presley Funeral Home as a mortician funeral director. So, as a funeral director, we get to meet a bunch of different pastors, and uh, we got to know the Edgewood pastors very well. The one main thing that got me here was Joseph Perez. He's a good friend, co worker, and asked me one day if I wanted to join him on a Sunday morning to uh, come see what services at Edgewood were all about. And ever since then, I've been coming back. So I worked with Brian, Pastor Brian Bill, for a service, and we were coming back from the cemetery. And uh, of course, it's not a first time that we've gotten to talk during the car. He kind of looked at me, and I was coming here for a few months, and he looked at me, and he said, "Do would you like to get closer to Jesus? <clears throat> and I said, absolutely. And he goes, are you ready to ask for forgiveness for your sins and ask to be saved? And I said, absolutely. So he gave me his his little pamphlet. And he said, you know, one day when you're at home, just take that out, read it. So I've actually got the pamphlet right here, Soul Satisfaction. Then on the back, it gives you a little reading. And it basically says, you know, I will confess my sins I've been trying to satisfy your, your thirst. I've been in the wrong way. Um, will you please forgive me? And I kind of left this pamphlet on my desk for say a week or so. I just wasn't quite 100% ready. But then one day I was up in my office, turned, saw this pamphlet, picked it up and asked for forgiveness. Ever since then, I haven't looked back. Actually, it's October 21st, 2020. It felt like uh, a big weight had been left off my shoulders, <clears throat> and since then I've had my baby dedicated here. Pastor Brian has been gracious enough to do Bible study with me, and going through that Bible study has given me a lot of more in-depth knowledge to what the Bible wants us to do. So since I've kind of uh, become a new follower in the last couple months, uh, you know, I've just put a new perspective on life. And, you know, it's, uh, I understand now that you know, if I do something wrong, I know where to look to, you know, fix that problem and that I'll be guided in the right way. And I've been, you know, I've learned to treat everybody like I want to be treated. And forgiveness is huge because if Jesus forgives us, we should forgive everybody else. So what way is Jesus everything to me? Well before about four months ago when I asked to be saved, I was on a path that may have not been horrible, but it wasn't correct or where I should be. And then once I asked for forgiveness and repented my sins and started coming to church all the time, it feels like I'm being guided in the right path. I treat people more that I, like I want to be treated. And I just have a lot more love and happiness, and I'm grateful for everything that I have. And that is because I know that he's here with me, and that's why he's everything to me.
0: Yeah, glory to God for how he works to save people today. Uh, Joe Perez is seated, seated right back there. Joe, thanks for inviting Andy, and Andy was in the previous Service. I wonder if you're ready to make Jesus everything to you by saying he's all you're going to live for and you're ready to repent and receive Jesus Christ. I invite you to close your eyes and I'm going to lead in a prayer. You, if you're ready, you could pray this prayer along with me if it represents where you're at. God, I have failed big time. And I admit that I'm a sinner. I've been searching for satisfaction, but I've been looking in all the wrong places. And I'm ready to turn around to repent and trust what your son Jesus did on the cross when he shed his blood and died in my place, paying the price for all that I've done. I'm so glad you see my sorrow And you also see my seeking, but more than that, I'm glad that you're a God who seeks me. Thank you for meeting me right where I am and for calling me by name. You know me, and for some reason, you still love me. I want to be at peace with you, God. And I believe Jesus not only died, but he rose again on the third day, and now I receive him into my life so I can be born again. Save me from my sins. And because you are now my everything, I surrender everything to you. And by your grace, I'm going to serve you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.